Oh Lord, we ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to us now so that we would walk blamelessly according to your law and so are blessed as we live in your ways. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we start our new series in the book of Philippians. And this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul and Timothy, as you see there in verse 1. And it's written to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. And after making some preliminary remarks of he's the author of the letter, uh, who it's to, and sending them a greeting in verse 2 of grace and peace to them uh, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, we are going to look at this morning uh, the next part of his letter, the first part of his letter after that initial greeting, where he speaks about his prayers, where he speaks about his prayers for the church in Philippi. Uh, He speaks of his joyful prayers in verses 3 and 4. We read in verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. The Apostle Paul, when he remembers the church in Philippi, he thanks God, and he thanks God with joy in his heart. Now, why does Paul pray prayers of thanksgiving and with a joyful spirit? Why does he pray these joyful prayers? Well, he tells us why in verse 6, why he prays with thanksgiving and joy in his heart. Verse 6, uh, sorry, verse 5. Verse 5, he says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Why does he pray with thankfulness and joy as he remembers the church in Philippi? Because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He prays with joy because of their partnership. Now, what is their partnership? What does he mean when he says partnership here? Well, the actual Greek word behind the translation there is a word that we often associate with fellowship. We often translate as fellowship. It's koinonia. And fellowship for us often means the the idea of uh, some sort of uh, Christian uh, meeting with one another where we speak about the Lord. We call it a good time of fellowship, even if it goes down to just a casual conversation with one another about the Lord Jesus. We consider that to be fellowship as we meet with brothers and sisters in Christ and speak about the Lord. But what does fellowship mean for the Apostle Paul here? It has a very broad uh, meaning, and of course, it can go from very serious discussions about the Lord down to casual conversations. For the Apostle Paul here, when he says fellowship, what he means is material support would be the first thing that would be in his mind as he considers the church in Philippi. And that's a meaning that is applied to the word koinonia in some places in the New Testament. Speaking of material support or financial help, as we can even see in a passage like Romans chapter 15, verse 26, where the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome and says in verse 26 of Romans 15, for Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution, or that is that same word, fellowship there, for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. So there he's writing to Rome and he's speaking about the church of Philippi when he says Macedonia. The Macedonian region uh, includes Philippi and he speaks there about the Philippians and says that they made a contribution, which is that same word that's translated partnership over in Philippians chapter one, koinonia. It's this idea of a contribution, material support that the church in Philippi made for the saints in Jerusalem. Now, why would I say that The Apostle Paul is primarily thinking of financial, material support when he thinks of the church in Philippi and then prays prayers of thanksgiving with joy. What is it about the church in Philippi that has this focus of material support? 
Well, if we look at the church in Philippi and when Paul was first there, you can't help but notice how well he was supported materially while he was amongst the people. And for that, we should actually go back to that passage in Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 16, and see the church in Philippi and how they responded to the Apostle Paul being amongst them. I encourage you to turn with me now. We're going to read a fair chunk of Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, and we'll read from verse verse 12. Paul has a, a vision of a man in Macedonia in the earlier part of chapter 16, asking the Apostle Paul to come over and help them. And then we read in verse 12 of Acts chapter 16. Turn with me now. Acts chapter 16, verse 12. From there we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. Remembering that Philippi is part of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. And then we read what he did on those several days that he was amongst them. On the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. See there in verse 15? the material support that is immediately given to the Apostle Paul in the town of Philippi. He needed a place to stay. He's just come to the place. He needs, a place to, uh, he needs food to eat. He needs shelter from the elements. And so there we see Lydia immediately welcoming him into her home. She actually persuaded him to come and stay. He may have had other uh, arrangements at that point, but he knows that here he will be loved and supported and cared for by this new convert, Lydia. But it goes on. The passage Acts chapter 16, and we see again material support given to the Apostle Paul. Verse 16 of chapter 16. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him 
and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptised. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. There again we see material support being given by the church in Philippi. This jailer is converted and what does he immediately do? He cares for the apostle's wounds. He provides medical care for him. He knows he's got physical needs and he provides for those physical needs. And not only that, he takes him into his home rather than keeping him in the prison, far nicer place to spend the night, and also gives him something to eat. Paul's probably had nothing to eat since he's been arrested. And he has, he has a stomach like everybody else. He needs food. And so when Paul thinks of the church in Philippi, he thinks of this material support, the generosity of the people there to provide for his physical needs. And not only that, as we continue on, verse 35, verse 35 of Acts chapter 16. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. More material support there. They have been arrested as criminals. They've been told to leave the city. And what does Lydia do for these criminals, for these people who are banished from the city? She welcomes them into her home. Again, she's not a Christian who will take on people who are easy and support them when they're in difficult circumstances, and it could be a threat to herself. She welcomes them into her home and provides for their needs, gives them somewhere safe to be for the moment, and then, of course, they leave and move on with their missionary journey. So when the Apostle Paul thinks of the church in Philippi, we've got to remember the background of his experience in Philippi, the experience of being provided for with his needs. But it's not only while Paul was with the church in Philippi that they supplied his needs. We understand that the Apostle Paul had material support from the church in Philippi after he left the city as well. And we see that brought out in the letter again and again. We see that Epaphroditus, one of the members of the church in Philippi, was actually sent by the church in Philippi to provide for Paul's needs. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Turn back with me to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, reading from verse 25. Verse 25 of Philippians chapter 2. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the, in the Lord with great joy and honour men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help that you could not give me. See the church in Philippi? They care for the Apostle Paul, even as he has left them as a missionary. 
He's continued on his journey. They continue to supply his needs by sending a member of their own church to help him in his time of need. And so that actually counts Epaphroditus as a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, and a brother, of course, as well. And we read about this financial support in chapter 4, verse 14 as well. We read about the care that they sent him uh, in chapter 4, verse 14 of Philippians. Turn with me to the end of the book, Philippians chapter 4, verse 14, where he writes, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I've received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And when he writes to the church in Corinth, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 even mentions the gifts of the Macedonians, including, of course, the church in Philippi. In, in uh, great terms, he, he tries to spur the church in Corinth to be generous like the church in Philippi, where he writes in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1, out of the most severe trial, there, that's the church in Macedonia, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Speaking of the church in Philippi, he recognises that they were going through severe trials, that they had overwhelming poverty, but what did the church in Philippi do? They didn't say, oh, we're too poor, we can't contribute to your needs, Paul, you've got to make your own way around the world. No. In their extreme poverty, it welled up, their overflowing joy welled up into rich generosity. And so, what is the book of Philippians? What is the book of Philippians? Well, in one sense, it's a missionary support letter. It's like when missionaries send a letter to their supporters, to their financial backers, and want to encourage them in the faith and express a thanksgiving to them for their support. And so when you think of the book of Philippians, you should think of a missionary support letter. Yes, of course, the word partnership there, the word fellowship uh, in verse, in verse uh, 5, it means a very broad sense. Of course, they shared with him in their prayers, they shared with him in his concerns uh, for uh, seeking the lost, but they didn't just do it uh, without any concern for financial and for physical needs. Now, the church in Philippi partnered, contributed to the needs of Paul physically. So how can we imitate the church in Philippi? How can we imitate the church in Philippi so that people are thankful to God, so that people rejoice in the work of Des Moines Baptist? Well, of course, we can partner with a local church, can't we? We as Christians, we should be partnering with a local church for the gospel work in our own city so that there's someone like the Apostle Paul. We can't have the Apostle Paul, sadly. You have to have some, someone like me instead. But you should be partnering with people in a local church and supporting them financially, physically, so that they can continue the gospel work unhindered by the physical needs that they have. And so I'm very thankful as the preaching elder here at Des Moines Baptist, at least for now, that I am supported so well by the people of Des Moines Baptist. And I thank God for you with joy that you supply the physical needs not only of myself but of my family so that I can continue to be here each Sunday and share the good news of Jesus Christ. 
But is that what the Apostle Paul is particularly referring to here when he speaks of fellowship, partnering with the local church? No, I don't think so. What is he really referring to here when he speaks about this partnership, this fellowship? Well, it's the fellowship between a local church and missionaries. A local church and missionaries. Not their own local church, financially supporting their own ministers. No, it's supporting the work of those who are not amongst them, who are not with them, but have gone to take the gospel elsewhere. And so we can follow their example in supporting missionaries, can't we? We should be following their example in supporting missionaries. And we should do it while they're amongst us, while there are people amongst us who are going to go from us and take the gospel to those who haven't heard it. We should be supporting them. We should support them materially before they leave us. Do we do that at Des Moines Baptist Church? Yes. As people consider going as missionaries, and we've had missionaries come here in Australia, and we have supported them while they prepare to go. Just as the church cared for Paul's needs while he was amongst them, we care for the needs of those amongst us who will one day go out from us as missionaries. And we think of our missionaries in Bolivia, our missionaries in the Philippines, our missionaries in New Caledonia. We have supported them while they've been here in Australia amongst us. And you can even extend this to people amongst us who have been trained as students to go out from us at one point in the future and take the gospel to other churches and to the people of those communities. And think of, at the moment, we support Joshua Parker. He's an elder of our church, yes, but we support him as he does his, his college tuition. We pay his fees for him so that he doesn't have to have that financial burden. We pay for his college tuition and we supply him with resources, uh, the different textbooks that are, are needed. We've helped contribute to the costs of his studies so that he's built up in the faith so that he can then go out and preach all the more faithfully. And we even pay him now to, to preach at the local school. Sadly, with COVID, uh, the restrictions have been on, and so he's not able to do that at the moment, but we've been able to support him financially during this time with the view that at some point he will go out from us. Now, that's a very sad thing for us to consider because we love him dearly, but that is the aspiration of his heart, and it is something that we want to get behind and support. While he's amongst us, we care for his material needs as the church in Philippi cared for the Apostle Paul's needs while he was amongst them. But how else should we follow the church in Philippi in their example? Well, supporting missionaries after they go as well. Not just while they're amongst us, but while they go out from us. And that's what we see, particularly in the book of Philippians, the support that came to Paul after he left them. Yes, in Acts, we see the support that was given to him whilst he was amongst them, but we, in Philipp Philippians, the book of Philippians, we see the support that was given to the Apostle Paul after he left them. And so that we do this with our missionaries as well. While they're out from us in other nations, we continue to support them for their ordinary daily needs. They need a roof over their house, heads, they need meals, they need clothes, they need health care, they need resources to print things and put things out there uh, on the field. And we think particularly of our missionaries in Bolivia. We help them, we provide resources with them so that they can uh, produce the material that is used in Sunday schools all around Bolivia and even over into Argentina. We supply their needs and we supply their extraordinary needs at times as well as health crises come up, as loss of income comes, as they need to come home. COVID has particularly made us very acutely aware of the needs of our missionaries while they're overseas. And, uh, and so some of these things have happened and we've needed to dig a bit deeper than we would normally do. 
so that they can have their needs met. But why would we partner? Why would we fellowship in this way with missionaries? Particularly when it's very costly. It's very costly to support missionaries who go out from us with the gospel. How is material support costly? Well, firstly, it requires a lot of time considering those who are amongst us, those who come to us while they're in Australia and want support as missionaries. It's like when we invest in a company. You've got to consider who you're going to put your money into. Why? Because there's good companies and then there's dodgy companies. And it's the same when it comes to missionaries, sadly, as well. There are Pauls and there are Judases. There are people who are going to advance the kingdom and there are people who are going to hinder the kingdom. And we need to consider them, just like we would consider whether a company is a shell company. We have to consider whether a missionary is part of a hell company and leading people to hell on the broad way to destruction. And so we as a church, we have to be very careful about who do we support. And that takes time and consideration. It's costly to us. And so we at our church, we actually have a missionary policy about how we select, it has a number of other things in it, but how we select who goes into the field from us. There are a number of points, and there's uh, six uh, listed in it, as to what we consider about missionaries, who we want to consider as missionaries. We want to make sure that the, the missionaries are members of a local church, that they go over into the field, but they don't just exist on their own over there, that they join a local church, they join a local body of Christ, which we expect of all Christians, that they have a strong relationship with Des Moines. We want them to uh, not just have a tentative relationship, we want to look for people that uh, uh, we, ha we know particularly well. They're the missionaries that we'd prefer to support. They should meet the qualifications of deacons and elders in the fact that they should be upright, and of course, if they're wanting to teach, they should be apt to teach, as an elder is. They should be seeking to support local churches, local church work in some way, because, of course, that is what we are all about, is the Lord has promised to build his church, and, to, and he does it through the means of local churches, and so our missionaries should have a focus on local churches. And that's why it's great with our, our missionary in New Caledonia. He's actually a pastor of a church. And so we want to support Peter Hines in his labours there in Numea. They should agree with our statement of faith. They should be alike, like us uh, theologically. And they should need significant financial help, uh, that they actually have great need. We're not going to throw money at someone who doesn't actually need much help. Uh, we want to make sure that our resources are put into the best possible places. And so how do we decide this? We have the missionary policy there. Well, it takes time of the elders to consider different missionaries, but also you as a church. And this is where we need church membership. We need people to step up and be members of a local church so they can help bear the burden of considering who do we send. Who do we send out as pastors of a church, like we think of Josh as a student, but also our missionaries. Because we can't just have anybody and everybody at our church. If we have membership is whoever attends Dremoyne Baptist Church, think of who walks in our doors and could be making decisions about who our missionaries are and how much money we give them. Instead, we take membership seriously here and make sure that we have godly people making decisions about godly people going out from us, like the Apostle Paul went out from us, with our support. How else is missionary support costly? It doesn't just require us time and energy and becoming a member of Des Moines Baptist Church and then considering these people as we allocate resources. Well, of course, it's costly because it takes significant money. It takes significant money from the church's budget and from personal budgets. 
the share price in missionaries is quite high. You can't give a missionary $50 and say, off you go, go share the gospel overseas. $50 isn't going to get them to the airport. Some churches love to say, oh, we support missionaries in this country and that country, and they get a map out and they put little pins all over the place. And what do they do? They give $50 to each one. How is a missionary supposed to be going overseas on that? The cost is borne by other people, other churches, if a missionary is to go in as a result of people giving a, a token donation just so they can say, oh, we've got missionaries in 300 countries of the world. No, it takes a significant amount of money. The missionary costs are high and they hit church and personal budgets hard. Members of churches have to work hard to produce an income to supply their own needs, but also then to support the needs of missionaries going out with the gospel overseas. They have to forgo pleasures. Forgo pleasures as members of the local church. We forgo the different things in our lives that we could spend money on so that we can support those to take the gospel as the Apostle Paul did years ago. So why bother? Why bother? As I said, the costs are high. You have to become a member of the church to really support the missionaries here. And, of course, you have to dig deep into your pockets and into the church's pockets, making sure that we spend the resources of the church in a large way, that the missionaries aren't just a token afterthought at our budgetary meetings each year at our AGM, that they take a significant hit of the church's budget. Why do we do it? Why? Well, we're not going to get great dividends out of it. The share price is high, but missionaries don't give good dividends. We can't expect from student ministers who go out from us or from missionaries who hit the field that they're going to send money back. I've never seen any money come back from a missionary or from a student pastor who's gone out from us to another church. Why do we do it? It's not to make money like we do with other investments. Why do we do it? when the share prices are large and there's no return on the money. Well, why do investors support companies that they actually expect to lose on the investment? Is, does anyone do that? Yes, lots of people do. Spend big money on companies that they expect to get nothing from and even lose their money on. Why do they do it? We think of the charities. That some of the wealthiest people in the world, they pump money into them and expect to not get a cent back. Why do they do it? Why do they pump money into such charities? Well, they believe in the CEO of those companies and they believe in the company itself and they believe in the product that the company is producing, the charity is producing, and they believe in the goals of the company. They think if that company has financial resources, then there will be great benefit for mankind. That charity can benefit others if their material needs are supported. So why do we partner up and support the work of missionaries? We believe in the organisation. We believe in the company of God. We believe in the kingdom of God. We believe in the CEO, God himself. We believe in the company, the local church. We believe in the product which is the gospel. And we believe in the goals 
of the CEO, the local church, the church itself, and the product. What is the goal? Glory to God and joy for mankind. And that's what we see in Philippians chapter 1, verse, uh, verses 3 and 4. The material support that has come from the church in Philippi to the Apostle Paul, what has it resulted in? Thanksgiving to God from the Apostle Paul. What's that mean? Glory to God. He recognizes that the help that he's received from the church in Philippi is God's help. And so he gives God glory. And what else does he do? Verse 4, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. There's the goals of the company. Glory to God, thanksgiving to God, and joy for the person who receives the support so that they can take the gospel to others. Why do we partner and support the work of missionaries? We believe in the company. And why is that? It's because we've experienced the product of the company. We've experienced the product of the kingdom. We've even met the CEO himself, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He has approached us. We've met him. And so we believe in him and we believe in what he is selling to mankind. Well, I shouldn't say selling. What he is giving to mankind he doesn't sell anything. He's gracious and gives it all. We believe in it so because we've experienced the gospel. We've experienced it ourselves. We've experienced the forgiveness of sins through the gospel message. We've experienced giving glory to God because of the forgiveness we've experienced in our own hearts. And we've experienced the joy that comes from the gospel. And so, of course, we support the work of the kingdom. We support the work of missionaries. And we've, we've not just seen it in our own lives, the gospel message there having an effect. We've seen it in the lives of others. We've seen missionaries and converts from those missionaries experience thankfulness and joy because of God's kingdom, because of the company that is God's. We see it in the book of Acts. You see the joy and thankfulness. We've witnessed it even this morning. The joy of Lydia, the joy of the Philippian jailer. You read the book of Acts the later chapters, and you see the effect of God's missionaries, the thankfulness, the joy as people are converted, and the joy of the missionaries themselves. We see it in church history. You can read missionary biographies and see the thankfulness and the joy that comes through God's kingdom, through his business, his company. You can read a book like John Payton's autobiography. John Payton was a missionary from Scotland to the New Hebrides, which we now would know as Vanuatu. It was one of the first major biographies I read as a young man. Many of you would still probably consider me a young man, but I'm talking early 20s. Uh, gripping stuff. He, he was a missionary to cannibals. Now, there are stories in this that are gripping and you won't be able to put it down. And it's autobiography, so it's all him uh, writing. Uh, gripping stuff, but you see the thankfulness and the joy of the people in Vanuatu as they received the gospel message, just like the people in Philippi received it with thanksgiving and joy many years before the church in Vanuatu. And of course, with our missionary newsletters. These newsletters that our missionaries send, they talk about the things that they're thankful for and the joy of people as they hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And when they're back on furlough, we get to have them here at our church and we get to hear 
of the work of God and we see the thankfulness in their hearts and the joy that they have for the people that they've been witnessing to. And so why do we support the work of missionaries? Because we see the thankfulness and the joy in our hearts, the hearts of those around us, and we see that the thankfulness and joy are cyclical. As we give, there's thank- as we have thankfulness and joy, we give to the support of missionaries, and then because of our giving, there's more thankfulness and joy as we see the kingdom extended. And what does that result in? We give more. And thankfulness and joy keep coming. It goes round and round. And so we understand that proverb that we had read for us before from Proverbs chapter 11 is true. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. We see it coming true in the way that we support the work of missionaries. So if we're not interested, if we're not interested in financially partnering, materially supporting, fellowshipping with missionaries, with gospel workers, can we actually be a Christian? Can you be a Christian if you have no interest in financially supporting those who go out from you, who you will receive very little benefit from? A message every so often, a bit of thankfulness and joy, but very little benefit, particularly materially. You will receive nothing. Can you be a Christian if you're not interested in supporting gospel workers who go out from you? Why don't unbelievers understand why people give to a local church to support a pastor? Why do unbelievers think it's just a waste of money? You may have unbelievers in your family who think, why would you give money to that church? Why would you do that? Why do unbelievers think that way? It's because they haven't tasted the product. They haven't accepted the good news themselves. They don't know the forgiveness of sins that comes through Jesus Christ. And so they don't have the joy of eternal life and they don't then don't want to see others have the joy of eternal life who are still headed for hell. That's why they don't give. Now, I want to be clear here. Supporting missionaries does not make us Christians. But I think it shows if we are. Christians. I think it shows if we are actually Christians. What makes a Christian? A Christian is someone who has received the greatest missionary of all. Who's the greatest missionary to ever live? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. The word missionary just means a sent one. It comes from Latin. Mission sent. Jesus was sent. Who are his backers? God the Father and the Holy Spirit. They were the supporters of the greatest missionary, the greatest financial backers, the greatest material backers of anyone in history. And a Christian is someone who accepts that great missionary as sent from God and accepts the message that he brings, the product he brings, which is the forgiveness of sins, through himself. He paid the penalty for our sins at the cross. And if we come to him in repentance and faith, if we receive him and the forgiveness he brings, that is how we are saved. That is how we become Christians. Not by financially giving anything, but by receiving what he is giving in himself, the greatest of all missionaries. And so if you're here this morning in some form listening to my voice, wherever you are, 
and you don't support missionaries. It's very likely that you're an unbeliever. And so what do you need to do? You need to receive that missionary. You need to receive him now. Why? Because if you receive him, you will do what you were designed to do, which is to give glory to God. And you will experience the greatest joy known to man, knowing that your sins are forgiven, knowing that you will not be punished for eternity, knowing that you instead have a marvellous inheritance in heaven and joy will flood your heart as you consider the CEO of the greatest company ever, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and you will see him face to face. Joy will flood your heart. And you'll find yourself then giving joyfully to the support of missionaries because you want others to experience the joy that you've experienced as you've received the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we are people who already support missionaries. Shouldn't we be asking this morning, could we do more? Could we buy into the partnership of missionaries even more than we are? As we look at these opening words from Philippians, as we look at the words in Acts chapter 16, could we be more of a Lydia than we currently are? Could we be more of the Philippian jailer than we currently are? Could we be more like Epaphroditus? We might learn a bit more about him as we study this letter together. Could we be a bit more of an Epaphroditus? How could that be? Well, if you're not a member of Des Moines Baptist Church and you are saved, become a member of Des Moines Baptist Church and help bear the burden of selecting different missionaries at our church and, and working out how much of the church budget we should give them. Helping the other members to be generous and not keep the missionary budget as a bit of an afterthought after we look after ourselves here at Des Moines Baptist Church. If you're not a member of Des Moines Baptist Church, ask yourself why. And for the sake of missionaries, could you become one? And can we all be working a bit harder so that we have more to, to give to the work of missionaries as they take the gospel to those who are overseas? Ephesians 4 verse 28 says about the man who has been stealing should steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands. Apostle Paul encourages people to work. Why does he encourage them to work? To do something useful with their own hands. So they don't get bored, so they enjoy the pleasures of work. And what does he say in the next words? That he, the worker, may have something to share with those in need. Why do you work hard? To supply your own needs? Yep. So others don't have to supply those needs but so that you can supply the needs of others, so that you actually have something to give away, to share with those in need. And can we even consider foregoing some of the pleasures that are offered to us in our nice part of the world that are very costly? Could we forego them so that we can give more generously than we have, buy more shares, so to speak, more partners, with missionaries going overseas to take the gospel to a lost world. This last week, we've seen more of the world that we once knew collapsing around us. You see it with nations like Afghanistan. The world is collapsing around us. Is there a greater way that we can invest our resources? And they may be meagre. You see the church in Philippi, in Macedonia, 
had extreme poverty, is what the Apostle Paul says. Yet out of their extreme poverty, with their overflowing joy, it welled up in rich generosity. The world is coming apart at the seams. Now, we could invest in providing water for people, providing food for people, or we could invest in providing the gospel for people that gives eternal life. Water, food, clothing, shelter for people are important. We can provide those for people who are taking something that is far better. And we know it's far better because we've experienced it ourselves. Wouldn't you go without food and clothing and water if you had to choose between that and the gospel? We can help a world that is in pain, a world that is lost, a world that is going to hell by supporting, materially supporting people so that they take the gospel message out from us. Just as the Apostle Paul went out from the Philippians so many years ago. And so that message comes to us even today. We can do that as well. Can we do more? Let's come to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you as the God of the Apostle Paul. He was your servant. And you provided for his needs through the Philippians so many years ago so that you were glorified, you were thanked, and you were enjoyed. We thank you for sending missionaries to us. We're far, far away from Philippi. We're far, far away from Jerusalem. But missionaries have come with the good news of Jesus Christ, the greatest of missionaries who came with good news the good news of the forgiveness of sins through his own body and blood. Thank you for that good news that has brought you glory and brought us joy. But Lord, we ask that you would help us to be generous, generous like the Philippians in supporting missionaries so that you are thanked even more and so that sinners are saved and so that there's even more joy from sinful creatures like us as we look forward to our eternal home where we will rejoice around the throne of the Lamb. We pray this in his name. Amen.